Thank you all for joining us tonight. Welcome to Wise Wise Q&A live stream with myself, Aaron, and of course, Alexander. Say hi, Alexander. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome. So good to be here. Just taking a moment to get centered as we listen to some beautiful music by Alexander. Little shaman's request. I think we have a few issues with our live stream, so I want to quickly fix that. And as you guys start funneling in, we are going to start off with another card from the animal spirit guidebook the card that i picked for everybody today is rabbit this is a very 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 interesting card and of course there are many different ways of looking at rabbit medicine i know of a few this is just another way of looking at it in this book with this oracle deck rabbit Afraid of everything, overwhelmed, and frozen. The rabbit loves to remind his friends that someday the eagle will swoop down and eat him. He talks and talks and talks about it. So loudly, in fact, that one day the eagle hears and thanks him for the great idea. Rabbit energy is alive when we are scared most often about the future. And we become our own worst enemy. We spin up a dust cloud of fear and then complain to others that we are lost. Notice your thoughts and words. Oh, rabbit, they shape your destiny. When in balance, we are sensitive, we are problem solvers and good listeners. And when rabbit energy is out of balance within us, we over-explain and can talk fast. And to bring into balance, it's important to have a day of silence. Alexander, do you have any more to add on yeah, rabbit medicine? To, to bring in the uh, the creativity and the abundance that of creating multiple things and multiple opportunities is is I think the time that people need to be focusing a good bit of their energy on is rather than what has been destroyed or is decaying uh, to change that energy and go in a direction of what you want to build and what is the opportunity for the new is and I think that that's the exciting part of of that rabbit it can it can be fearful or it can be very productive in producing new things new offspring so to say and creativity and in jobs and directions and career and hobbies uh, can can be directly connected to that and so we are still having a few issues with our live stream Half our live streams are up. Some of them are down because of, I guess, some options that Restream has reconfigured. So I'm going to work on that, Alexander. Well, uh, you talk about our first question that I have prepared. I wanted you to discuss how special 
your birthday was with all the letters that many of the listeners uh, provided to you. Oh, wow. Yes, this was uh, extremely special. And I'll start off with a deep, deep thank you to everyone that participated. And what what happened was I was surprised at my 50th birthday party and given a handmade uh, box that was full of letters, some handwritten, um, some typed, uh, some very creatively done um, on scroll paper and very, very cool little intricacies like that. But it was uh, people that Aaron and Claire had contacted and just asked them if they would share what uh, working with me or with the Just Philosophy had meant to them. And it was so humbling. Uh, it, it created uh, instant tears, of course, and just so much gratitude. So the next morning, I got to get up very early at, at daybreak and build a fire and sit back and read all of these wonderful, wonderful um, words that people had taken the time out of their life to share um, in regards to me. And it was so unbelievably just wonderful. Um, I did have one of my sons came out uh, about halfway through and got to experience some of them with me, and so that was even another special layer, but uh, deep gratitude to Aaron and Claire once again for for pulling that together in a, I think, a short period of time, But and a big thank you to everyone that participated. I really, really appreciated it. Okay. Um, so this live Q&A, obviously, we haven't done one in a month. So we do have the episode on the 360-degree uh, uh, view of emotional processing that we had not discussed in a live Q&A yet. And we also have the last two episodes of our new segment or our new series called My Personal Journey, in which we featured Claire and Laurel's episode was released a little earlier today. So, you know, to everybody out there, feel free to ask any questions that you have on any episode on any topic. Um, but of course, if you've listened to those and you have something, please bring it up. Um, Claire may even be out there and we, we had briefly discussed how cool it would be to have the person who was on um, the most recent uh, episode of my personal journey on with us in case there are any questions. So Claire, if you're out there and you feel like joining us up here, uh, feel free to do so. Um, but I'm going to pull from some questions that I've gathered today from various uh, previous episodes that I don't think that I had asked in previous Q&As. So let's start out with, what do we get from being vulnerable? Like we know that it's very challenging and when we push through, it can feel good, but what would you say that we gain by being vulnerable? And to add on to it, how does it impact or what is the impact on the five levels? Well, I'd like to start that off with a, um, a saying that came to me many years ago that I've been working with and that I, I share with people, and it's not always received instantly. Um, it has a little bit of a shock value, and I didn't design it to do that, but it, it just happens to. 
And it is, you may only love as deeply as you're willing to suffer. And that doesn't mean that you have to suffer to love, but that willingness or that vulnerability of when you think of an ideal mother and what she would do for her child, uh, the level of suffering that she would go through, would she wouldn't even think about it. And different, we all carry different levels of that and to how deeply we're willing to go for someone um, or even for ourselves or for something that we believe in. And without that vulnerability there, you don't get much of the payoff of that so-called connection. And so it's a... You know, they both come hand in hand, and we bring that back to one of the pillars that everything is, uh, this is the plane of polarity. And duality is a choice. Polarity is a fact of the physics that we're experiencing. And acceptance is a big part of once you accept that polarity, that what to whatever extent you are seeking something, the cost is equally... Um, weighed or measured and this is why uh, lots of great teachers from different paths uh, teach you know to stop seeking that there's nothing to seek and everything is within and that's a big part of that is is that if you if most people put all the energy turning it inwards as they do seeking something like they would have a much different experience, such as happiness. People seek things to make them happy rather than just learning to be still and be happy. And it's whether you want to burn the energy up externally or you want to turn it internal. And that, that doesn't have to be sitting still. You could go for a hike. It could be a bath. There's many things that make people happy. But the the curious thing to me is how people will set up things in seeking the happiness to keep them from doing certain things that they know bring them happiness. And this is what our culture has stimulated, that, that um, Walmart-type attitude of just, you know, you buy something to be happy and then very shortly there's something else that you need to buy the the happiness like wears off and so that that seeking and relationships are very similar so so bringing that all back around to the importance of that vulnerability the importance of the vulnerability is directly connected to the depths that you're looking to experience the problem with the depths is there's more potential cost and heartbreak, you know, so it truly is a choice that, you know, most people say that they want to be loving beings, and they just want love, and, and my question, follow-up question to that is always just, well, where are you being vulnerable, where are you showing your belly, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but I think it's many times the people that are looking for love uh, once again, can turn that energy inward and say, where am I being vulnerable? Where am I extending? And even when I don't get something in return, 
can I continue to extend? And that's directly connected to that vulnerability of being being willing to not have something reciprocated back and you still feel good about the exchange because love should only be given. You may not want to call it love if you're looking for something in return, is another saying. You may not want to call it love if you're looking for something in return. Love should just be given, not carry expectations. So the so I hope that that gives an answer or well-rounded answer to that question around vulnerability. And I think you did ask how it affects all the five levels. And, you know, allowing vulnerability is allowing energy to flow purely. And when we, when we don't allow vulnerability and we put up walls, that creates energetic blockages. It creates obstacles for the energy centers or the chakras to communicate or talk to each other. So normally that will eventually create uh, physical issues uh, to deal with. And so that's why paying attention to all five of the levels, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the energetic, and the spiritual or religious levels um, are, are a big part of this just philosophy. And we even have a uh, wellness guide that uh, helps us to practice those five levels daily that we will be doing a re-release uh, here very, very soon. So in piggybacking off of that question, Alexander, can you give us an example of what it's like to be vulnerable on each level of the five levels? Well, many times physically, uh, we can start there, is, you know, some type of touch and whether someone pulls away or not. Um, it can be uh, with a, a look, it can be with kind of any of the senses that, that control our physical uh, realm. And then on the mental, it can be, you know, talking to someone about a subject and getting rejected or getting judged for it. Uh, see, that that brings in the mental and the the emotional because once the emotions get activated, then does that person like adjust and try to make you feel better or do they attack and go into even more judgment and create, you know, the opportunities for more emotional uh, ripple? You know, spiritual is potentially being open-minded and, you know, being strong enough in your faith that you can let someone else talk about any different type of faith and you not be challenged. And that vulnerability, there's so much power in that vulnerability um, that that strength is in that softness. If we think about water, once again, water is the softest substance known. You can't, you can't grab it. You can't hit it. But it can cut through what rocks. So it can be one of the most powerful forces on the planet, and yet you can't, you can't grasp it. So, so that's the way that I want people to look at like being soft and being vulnerable is that if you let it wash through you, if you let that, if you learn to not take things personal and see things from an energetic uh, point of view, you can just see that you're not in resonance with that person and that if they judge you, they're not seeing you properly because you're not on a similar wavelength. So these are the things that like keep people from being vulnerable is a fear of judgment uh, and guilt that they carry. 
And this is why the just philosophy does suggest to uh, look at life through a frequency-based view. And that if, you, if you're not communicating with somebody and you're not able to be uh, vulnerable, then what's the point of being around them if you've got to be on guard? So, so the practice of vulnerability is really not expecting your environment to support you, but to actually use it as a mirror and see where you're not solid in the ways that you see yourself on all five of those levels. And then you should be able to discuss any subject on any five of those levels and not be affected, especially emotionally. So uh, the vulnerability is very important to taking one's self-development to, uh, to the next level. Thank you for that. Uh, so I wanted to uh, now, since I got all of the issues with the live stream pretty much taken care of, um, I wanted to now pose the question that we, you know, we like to ask questions for you guys to answer and comment on throughout the stream. And then we like to read them and uh, post them to Alexander. So uh, the first question is, what is one long held perspective that has altered or changed since listening to the podcast and or the live Q&A and implementing the just philosophy within your life. And that's, of course, posed to you guys out there. Um, so please share with us in the comment section below wherever you're watching live. Um, what is one long-held perspective that has altered or changed since you have started watching and listening to the podcast and implementing the just philosophy within your life. Yeah. And that, and that, that aspect is very important in the self-development work that we are able to see and admit and discuss when we have a perception change that shows that we're growing. Many people get defensive and try to defend things that even they don't necessarily support anymore or view it, but they don't want to um, show, they see that as weakness rather than a strength. And remember that change is the only constant that we have. And so being able to show others where we've changed our perception and where we've come from many times can help bridge that gap to help somebody feel comfortable in making that next adjustment. And this, of course, is the reason why we, or one of the reasons why we started doing uh, the My Personal Journey, bringing on people out there who have been listening and, and implementing this into their lives, because it is important to take a, a pause and reflect on where you were and where you are now and how much work you've done and, you know, how much you've changed. And it's important to reflect, to congratulate yourself as we've talked about on some of these my personal journey episodes on how important that is to do uh, but also to see if any adjustments need to be made or you know maybe there's a, another direction you want to go with with your growth yeah and we want to be sure to invite all the listeners out there to to chime in on whatever platform you're listening to and Aaron will see all of the comments and the questions and we just kind of develop um, the program 
based off of your questions, basically. So, so please make this as interactive as, as you can and, and join us. We do have a question from Sam. Uh, Sam, hey, brother. Can you talk about short-term happiness, instant gratification, versus long-term happiness, hard work over time? Can you explain how little progress over time makes such a big impact? Yes, I think that, you know, finding little things every day that make you happy. Um, like, for instance, uh, I was literally outside working all morning, and here in North Carolina today, the weather was as about as picture perfect as you could ask for. Just no humidity and nice, cool 70 degrees. And about 2 o'clock after lunch, I decided to lay down and take a nap outside. It was so incredible, and so I did. And when I woke up, I had to call someone and work out a, a schedule uh, for a, a client. And talking on the phone, he asked what I was doing, and I said, enjoying this day to the utmost extent. And he said, me too, man. I just got out of a board meeting, and but we was able to have some creative dialogue, so I'm really enjoying the day. And see, we were talking about two very different types of enjoying the day, and Mine was very simple, and not to take anything away from his, but this is very common in our general discussions that we will use the same words, but we're having two different experiences. And so that short-term happiness and the importance of it is that that's what accumulates, in my opinion, and takes care of building the energy for the so-called long-term happiness. And, and setting goals many times doesn't, truly feed as many people as it seems uh it's it can be very short-lived so many times people will put a lot of time into a goal and then once they get it they just need to set another goal and those are long-term processes and i have found from my experience just that the shorter term everyday things and just like that me working outside and taking time to just lay down there was plenty of other stuff that i could do to be productive but i just wanted to take about an hour or so and just lay on the earth and feel it and breathe in that perfect weather or what i viewed as perfection and truly truly enjoy that so for some people that could be taking an essential oil bath or it could be writing a song or playing some guitar but the thing is is that most everyone should have something healthy that doesn't deteriorate them that they actually enjoy doing it might be reading a book and i just try to get people to then just do that for 10 minutes a day and do it at the beginning of your day and try to end your day with it as well but but i find that what you do first thing in your day kind of sets the tone and so f over 20 years ago i got taught that and I started that's when I started getting up earlier and doing whatever I really enjoy doing very first in the day and that like fed me so on that short term that's my suggestion is find that 10 or 15 minutes to do what you really enjoy doing every day if that's meditation then meditation if it's going for a jog or walk or if it's reading or writing or doing push-ups whatever it is whatever feeds you then try to make that the first thing you do in 15 minutes of your day. 
and see if that doesn't change and help to build that long-term happiness. And throughout the day, I like to suggest as well to do do something three times, you know, at, at the beginning, then the middle of the day, and then at the end of the day. But uh, for most people, it's just lucky if we can get them to get it in one time a day. So just start in the morning, but then try to work it in something similar at lunchtime and then at the very end of your night before you're going to sleep, uh, do it then. And see, that accumulates to be 45 minutes in a day. And if you do that every day, that really builds energy towards uh, cord, towards you retaining that vibration because that's the key. When we get in those happy places, every cell in the body resonates at a different vibration. And the more we visit that, the more that it makes our aura or our energetic field vibrate at that level. So this is why the importance is the consistency. Rather than so much struggle to reach these long-term goals that I find feeds people for very short periods of time. Rather, choose 15 minutes a day, find that happiness, want it three times a day, and maybe even expand it and make it longer is my suggestion, but just start with that 15 minutes. And thanks for chiming in, Sam. All right. Yeah, so Sam, uh, if you would like to offer a follow-up question, you know, feel free to do that. Uh, what type of work or processes do you suggest going through around anniversaries of past traumatic events? Uh, man, this is a beautiful, beautiful question. Because I have proven in my own experience that things are cyclic and... In that, I mean that vibrations come back to visit you in cyclic periods, especially yearly periods. And as a matter of fact, when the coronavirus uh, very first began at the end of March, um, the scare of that, that was also March 28th was the 12th year anniversary of Sherry passing. And it was one week later was the third anniversary of my mother passing. And so I knew that I had two anniversaries and both of those, of course, connected to grief and I'm connecting the coronavirus to grief. And that's the true vulnerability on the energetic and the emotional sides. And so for the first two weeks of the shutdown, I went into releasing as much grief as I could. And I saw that as a supplement uh, to to clear that out as we're going into this so-called threat that was coming. And so paying attention to those uh, cyclic periods is very important because you're, you're more than likely going to experience to a certain degree similar moods that you went through. So if you went through some sadness or sorrow, it's likely that you'll be a little bit more sensitive, um, maybe a week to two or three weeks before and even afterwards to give it a good uh, maybe two weeks before, two weeks after, a month period where you're you're just extra conscious of that and you may be communicative of that. This doesn't mean that you're stuck in reliving the story, Ori, over and over, especially if you haven't gone through seven years of healing from it. You know, I like to suggest that the minimum to get over a, 
a traumatic event is seven years because it takes seven years for every cell in the body to completely regenerate. So we're still holding vibrations of that experience. So if it's been over seven years, then carry that with your, the mental part of working with it, that, that, you know, any, anything past seven years can be seen as a rebirth. So this is the way that I work with people that have gone through traumatic experiences and how to release that trauma on all five of the levels. And part of that is the mental level and how we perceive it or approach it. So, so I think that that's, you know, important to, to see that it's, this is all a process and that, that we, we do have steps through the just philosophy to help with this type of processing, but that is how I focused on the grief and the, the period that was coming up. If it's connected to anger, then pay attention to that and how sensitive you may be. So connect the cyclic period with the emotions that you went through and pay attention because we many times will attract situations into our lives to help us to heal that. And the healing of it is how we respond to it rather than react. Um, so I hope that that helps uh, with that question. We can, I could keep going down the rabbit hole with that, but we want to try to keep it on point. Nice uh, connecting that to the car we pulled. <laughs> I don't know yes, if you did that on purpose. Yes, yes. Um, so I asked that question because it um, on 9-11, it was the three-year anniversary, of, of course, of an event that I've talked about on the podcast of my feral cat. Uh, dying in in a tragic incident and that caused me a lot of trauma and of course time you know as time passes you know acceptance happens naturally most of the time um, so I don't know if there's any more that you could add to a specific event. yeah I think I mean something that I'd like to add to that is that you nurture the opposite emotion so whatever the emotion that you went through, if it's loss, then you find things to be so grateful for and you express it. You don't just like think it, but whether that's your other cats or your relationships. And I think that, you know, we had kind of one of those connections after the sound journey on 9-11 and you came up and sat beside me by the fire and shared an experience that you had during or before the sound journey and, and it was beautiful and see that was tapping in and kind of you knowing it or not knowing it uh doing exactly what i was talking about you were showing your appreciation for me appreciation for uh my past and the things that i'd gone through and how the ripples had connected to you and people close to you and so see you weren't in the sadness of loss you were in the appreciation of what was growing and building and so I like to say, you know, recognize, respect, and redirect the three R's. So you recognize that, oh, this time period's coming up. You respect that, oh, the, the emotion that I went through was sadness and loss and grief. The redirection is that I'm going to be grateful and I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to let it be known. I'm going to create that vibration. And that's what we always want to bring it back to is that our expression is creating a vibration. So we see we want to recognize the vibration. We want to respect it, even though it's not the vibration that we may be comfortable with or, or uh, preferring. And then we want to redirect it toward that that we do want to prefer. 
and to experience. And so it's through the exercise of doing it is what, from my, uh, in my experience, has helped to heal when that time comes around how much it affects you. Because I happen to feel that those negative emotions are just reminders for us to go experience the opposite. And we spend too much time in the vibration of that, of just the messenger. And we get stuck in talking to the messenger rather than getting the message. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Claire chimed in on our question. Uh, she said, I used to believe in the power of words rather than the intention behind the words. I tend to say exactly what I mean, so I held other people to that same expectation. Through human design, I learned that some people have to talk things out in order to process their response. So the just philosophy helped me release people from what they said and look deeper into their intention. That is, yeah, wow. definitely. That's huge. And uh, welcome, Claire. Always good to have your energy connected, of course. And and that was that was really spot on because we can uh, people in general can really expect others to just be like them and that is a big part of why you know I did bring in the tools of the human design and the destiny card system into the just philosophy because it helps give a neutral third party view and it can help you to understand why someone is the way that they are. And many times people get judged for their personality when it's a direct, you know, it was given to them cosmically to have that uh, in their makeup. And then it's the person's responsibility from the Just Philosophy's perspective to learn to manage those influences and not just make the people around us subject to those influences. So it comes back to those three R's again. Recognize it. Oh, I have this tendency. Then it gets confirmed. Oh, it's, in, it's here in my cards or in the human design. Okay, then it's respect it. Okay, so now I'm going to observe myself doing this. I'm going to communicate to people that this is part of my makeup. And then the redirection is, oh, I'm going to grow beyond this influence now. And now it's no longer going to rule me but I will just use it when I need it. And that is the point of, of the consciousness in the just philosophy is actually being that parent and taking that influence and being able to manage that influence or direct or redirect that influence rather than it, just being subject to it. And I am one of the people that she talks about who needs to talk things out to understand and utilize my response technique from being a generator where I pose like, so for instance, one thing that I do is when I'm designing something like a logo or, you know, anything like that. And I'm, I'm unsure how I feel. I bring in like a friend or a family member. I send it to them. And based on their reaction, I listen to my gut and I get how I actually feel about it. So if they don't like it, but then my gut says, yeah, no, I kind of like it. Then I know that I like it. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. And as you know, and our processes are, are very different and that's, that's the beauty. Uh, many times when, even when, when Aaron and I are checking like even microphones or the sound quality of something, uh, we will, we hear it differently and all of that is okay because we, 
we are very different in our designs and that's why we can complement each other as well so so this is why this work helps with relationships uh, whether it's professional it's intimate it's parent child uh, even friendships because once you understand the more you understand about yourself the more compassion you have for others and then if you take the time to just learn a little bit about the others around you then you can see how to optimally communicate with them and that's really what it's about is communication not just talking and uh, communication is done uh, the way that a person receives not the way the person, the giver, wants to give it. Um, a person listens when they are comfortable receiving. And I think that that's very important for people to hear. So so this is why it's worth saying something the way somebody will receive it rather than just the way that you want to say it. Uh, you will be received much, much more. And it's not catering to. It's actually using a skill just like, if you're going to talk to someone that speaks Spanish, if you speak Spanish to them, they're going to get more of the information. So so this is why changing the mentality of that this type of communication is just catering to people and giving it to them the way that they want and it's so exhausting is really much, much less exhausting uh, than trying to get people to understand what you're saying the way you're saying it all the time. And you could also bring up the question, do you want to be right or would you rather be helpful? Yes, yes. And that's that's always a great one to just, you know, keep in mind. And, of course, Aaron and I had such a great experience when that phrase kind of came to light. Um, and to just constantly ask yourself, especially if you're starting to get, to get irritated with someone, to just ask yourself, hey, in this situation, would I rather be helpful or do I need to be right? Um and for me, myself, uh, I appreciate, you know, being helpful. And I like to say that I'll let most anyone be right about most any subject in this world rather than um, interrupt my energetic or emotional, uh, you know, energy fields. So another question uh, from Sam. Um, and this is this is a good question, and it's not off top. I mean, there's not really a topic, Sam, so feel free to ask whatever you'd like. But this is actually one that I would answer the question that we pose for everybody, which is, you know, what is a long held perspective that has been altered or changed since listening to the podcast? Um, it's about ego. And when we did our episode on ego, so Sam, uh, I'll try to get you that link or I'll try to post the link in, in just a minute to that episode. But when we did that episode, I went into it having a whole different kind of understanding based on what I was exposed to, you know, and, and the different, uh, the way ego had been taught to me through my outlets and Alexander offered a whole new perspective on it, which I loved. Um, so if that is an excellent episode, but we'll pose the question to him. Uh, Sam says, um, he's curious to see what your thoughts are on, on the ego are, is it a bad thing or can we form a healthy ego that promotes healing? Yes, the ego is necessary. Um, you know, it's part of our survival mechanism. And therefore, it does need to be fed to the extent that we like who we are and that it's worth protecting. It's worth feeding properly. It's worth proper movement. And 
anytime that someone is suffering in one of those areas, their ego is going to be out of balance. And so, see, if someone struggles with feeding their body foods that they know is healthy for them, and they'd like to just eat junk foods, then somewhere else they will be very, very defensive in their ego. Maybe it's hypothetically that they're, um, they, they love to debate with people. So they may like just really enjoy arguing with people and defend their ego to an extreme there because they have a weakness in this other area. And we want to, of course, anything that, <clears throat> Excuse me. Anything that we look at uh, through the Just Philosophy view, we look at those five levels. And so just nurturing that ego enough to feel good about who you are, what you're about, and what you're here to exemplify. In order to do all three of those things properly, you need to be well-fed, well-nourished, well-rested, and get plenty of water. And... So getting plenty of water means not drinking a lot of or eating a lot of things that dehydrate you. So, so see, the, the, the true ego is pure. It's necessary. It's beautiful. But if it's fed on all five levels properly, then there's not an imbalance somewhere else. If there is an imbalance, then what I suggest to people is find the area that is to an extreme and start feeding the area, that energy, to the weak area. And so discipline is normally necessary. And what helps with discipline is having someone to help you stay accountable. Because many people um, will falter on themselves. But if they have somebody that they have to answer to or that they told they really want this and to please help me, it can, many times when they're in a moment of doubt, if they're going to have to answer to somebody else, if you're going to have to answer to somebody else, uh, you can make it through that doubt rather than just answering to yourself. So, yes, the ego shouldn't be seen as all bad or negative. Okay, okay. so I did post that episode link in all of the chats in case anybody else out there wants to get a, a better or a more rounded understanding of the stuff we talked about around ego. It was so um, helpful for me. Uh, okay. In a previous episode on vulnerability, I, meaning me, <laughs> mentioned I would, quote, lose a part of myself if I was completely open to someone. Can you identify with what I was talking about in that instance and maybe go into uh, redirecting me into a better perspective on what I meant by that? You know, like, just help me <laughs> help this thing. <laughs> okay. So, so, so yes, with that, many times uh, people do feel like that vulnerability means that you lose yourself. And in this, this picture, normally someone else is involved. So, uh, so there are people that do lose themselves in somebody else. And that is being vulnerable, but they're normally not consciously doing it. And by vulnerability means that, uh, like conscious vulnerability from my perspective or my experience is, is that you, you reveal as much as the other person reveals and you, you match that. 
and you keep that within close parameters, if it gets too far out of balance, it creates a pressure. And so, so I think that, you know, when you're talking about, this is also connected to the ego that like, if you're vulnerable to somebody and it doesn't work out or you get rejected, then are you going to sit there and say, see, I shouldn't have done that. See, if you're, if you're going to do that, then you probably weren't ready to be vulnerable because you've, True vulnerability is about learning to t turn the other cheek, as I taught, I, as I took that teaching from Jesus. Even is that he showed the vulnerability, and even when he was struck upon, he didn't show force back. He showed that no, I'm going to stay vulnerable, even though that you attacked, and that I think that that is strength in vulnerability to see that no, I'm going to open up to you, but. The strength in vulnerability is when you're actually comfortable or accepting if the other person can't match you there. Because, see, they may need to be shown that first. And many times when somebody's shown that first, they're going to react. <laughs> they're not going to believe that it exists. And so this is where it takes a vulnerable warrior to sometimes to bring their partner or somebody along with them. And that can be a long and daunting task. So it's not for the the faint of heart, so to say. But I think, does that connect with you that it is that almost protection and feeling like I've got this vulnerability and if I open up, I, I might lose myself or I might get hurt? Do you say that it's connected? Uh, it's, yeah, it's very similar to that. It's It's about... I don't know. I'm, I'm re I've always in the past, I've been resistant to sharing everything about myself. Maybe I'm afraid of how people will react to that, but yeah, the I judgment. do. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And you know, everybody knows I have <laughs> problems with self judgment. So um, it is, yeah, it is important to, to, you know, do conscious vulnerability and meet somebody where they're at versus, um, Emotional vulnerability. Just, just dumping, you know, doing, uh, cause you know, when I was young, I, I would do, um, I would call it verbal vomiting. Yes. Where if I connected with somebody and it wasn't even cause I had friends that I connected with, they weren't romantic friends, but they were just friends that like, I had this connection with, we just got each other. It probably had something to do with, you know, human design or destiny cards. And I would just like, just vomit everything that I've ever thought. And they read, you know, they loved to either listen to it or they did the same thing. And so it like almost pulled it out of me. Right. Yes. And, and of course, with your design, that can, you know, that can happen. Uh, and, and that is part of your processing. So especially young in life, kids don't understand that. And so many verbal processors are so-called verbal vomiters and they don't sometimes know how to cut it off. And then they can go to too far the other extreme when they go through so much judgment that they completely shut down and then very rarely do, do they find the middle, so to say. And of course that's the kind of stuff that some of the stuff that you're working on and you're doing a great job with it, but that, uh, you know, it is that conscious vulnerability, you know, and always thinking about the vision of the tree that, you know, we can be rooted and solid, but still be flexible when the storms come and just seeing the storms as other people's opinions uh, and 
being able to utilize the frequency based view of, oh, well, you know, they are not seeing what I'm representing here clearly because they have a very strong view. Um, so they're seeing it through their emotional filters, so to say. And so people take personally so much judgment from others that just isn't correct information. It's, it's emotional filtered information. And so, um, so that's why to one should only take someone else's opinion that has absolutely no emotion attached to it. And there's very, very rarely that people are sharing information that doesn't have emotion attached to it. Otherwise, see that as almost like a, a game that, that uh, people aren't really saying what they mean. They're just um, saying like what's on the, the top of their head. They're not, they're not seeing it clearly. And that's what so much of our truth or our relationships is based on, is these conversations that happen when people are really just talking. They're not focused and communicating, and that's what a lot of relationships are built upon, unfortunately. So, um, so yeah, that's that's constant work. Claire asks uh, a lot of questions here, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if uh, I'll read the whole thing, and I guess you can ask me to re-ask some if you need. Okay. Um, she said, "So, is there a way to practice vulnerability on our own, like as a precursor before we try with another person?" Or do we always need someone else to practice with? Because if so, what should we do if we know we're not ready to open up to someone? Forcing it to happen, like throwing ourselves in the deep end, and when we know we can't swim doesn't seem helpful, or is it? Okay, here I'd like to suggest um, to start with that vulnerability on the so-called spiritual or religious level. And that when a person can open up to that divine energy or God or Allah or whatever somebody wants to call that, that higher energy and can humble themselves to like the point that I felt humbled when I was gifted that box of all of these letters that people had written me. I mean, I can't, you can't describe that in words. Of course it, it's a feeling. And, and true humility is such a beautiful experience is that you don't have to hold up any pretenses anymore. That's what humility is, that, that you're, you're just completely naked and it's okay. And that's what I was in front of everyone. I just I started instantly crying and just holding my hands together and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And that was what was perfect is that I didn't need to say anything. I didn't need to do anything. I was just in so much gratitude. And so that's where I think that people should start is start with being in gratitude for your mate or your parents or a parent or a grandparent or a friend or an animal <laughs> or just the use of your body in ways that many people are restricted. So there's just, there's so many things to be grateful for. And starting with that humility of, see, talking about it brings me to it, that just that gratitude of life. 
that gratitude to have the opportunity to inspire, to make a difference, just the opportunity. There's a beauty in that that I can get lost in. And that's what I'd like to suggest to people to tap into whatever your connection is. <laughs> to find that humility, to find that 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 no need to be anybody, to be anything. And in front of that divine energy, you don't need to because it sees through it all. It's 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 complete you're completely naked anyway. And so practicing that is truly what I think gives people or that I've experienced gave me the um, strength to put myself out in front of people to put me myself in open up uh, vulnerability and relationships and professionally and at all different levels as a musician I used to be scared to death of someone judging my song and now I just understand that everybody's not gonna like my songs every song that I write and I can't tell you the freedom of that. And I get such a kick out of when certain people like certain songs. And there will be random ones that, oh, this is my favorite. And I go, yeah, it's like one of my least favorites. But see, it's still beautiful because it's someone's favorite. So I think that, you know, that humility starts within once again. And it's about that connection with that higher energy and learning to live in that humility. And then when you're able to be in humility connected to vulnerability then there's nothing to defend so that's how you're able to be vulnerable and even if someone attacks you're staying in your humility because as you know uh, once again beautiful phrase of jesus you know forgive them father for they know not what they do and when when i'm speaking to someone and they get emotional i accept that we're not on the same frequency we're not talking about the same things anymore because now there's an emotional filter and that helps me to not take it personal so um so anyway i hope that that uh, helps to bring some clarity to that to that point i would also add in as uh, a process um being honest with yourself is like being vulnerable with yourself um but not just i would say not just doing it in your mind definitely like write it out and or talk it out out loud because once you write it or speak it then it's then it's real then it's like you really had that thought about something yeah, and, I, and as you're saying, I think I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think the writing is a big part. For some people, it's it's tactile. For me, it's not. It's going. It's emptying my mind is how I get there. But many people, such as maybe yourself, you can speak for yourself. But that writing, that step of writing, is important. And then getting to where you can read it out loud. Yes, it's funny because what I'm about to say also ties into Sam, who has another question. Um, because I recently did an exercise where I wrote down all of my fears on, you know, on a piece of paper. And like you said, it was, it was a process of emptying my mind because we, we I think we, we underestimate how much energy it takes to store all these fears that we, that we feel, but we don't want to be honest with ourselves enough to say them out loud because then they might be real. So we kind of just bury them and say, Oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that at some point in our lives. Um, so it's just, it's just, it was, it was a good process for me, yes. um, to, to do that. And then, 
you know, even like share it with somebody. Yes. And, um, and my songwriting is that for me, you know, when I've gone through my hardest challenges in life, it is through poetry and arranging it into music. That's all part of my processing. And I can't imagine where I would be if I hadn't have learned <laughs> to write songs um, and was gifted with um, with that skill set to practice. Um, and and for people that don't have a creative outlet, it just it makes my heart ache uh, because that energy needs it not needs, but it helps to process when it has something to go into and to develop and to build something with it. So um, uh, these are great questions that's that's coming up and uh, really appreciate uh, Sam and Claire um, and everyone that's interacting. So yeah, getting into Sam's question, where does the fear of rejection originate? What are the best ways for healing this fear? This has been one of my biggest hurdles in my journey. Well, many times uh, I like to suggest that the majority of the things that we deal with in adulthood were established before seven years old. And so normally a fear of rejection is connected to typically a parent. And when we are, you know, at a certain stage of our development, our parents are there um, taking care of us and they just become this larger than life thing. And, um, and at some point, uh, sometimes intentionally, but many times non-intentionally, the parent rejects the child, whether it's through discipline or something of that matter, that the parent doesn't think is a big deal. But because of the age or development of the child, it can be a very, very big deal. And I'll tell a quick story. Um, approximately 15 years ago, I was working out of town back when I did faux painting, and I was working in Wilmington. And... I was at a, a a soccer game, and I'd gone with my friend to pick up his stepson. And there was this little girl about four years old playing in the dirt. She had a white dress on. She was having the best time. And she walked up to her mother, and her mother was talking to another mother at the fence. And the little child walked up and tugged on her mom's dress and was going, Mommy, Mommy, she wanted to show her what she had been doing. And when that parent turned around, she annihilated that kid verbally and did not realize it, but she called her a pig, and she said, I can't believe that you've gotten so dirty, and it broke my heart right away. I started crying instantly. Anger came across, and when I saw the look in that little girl's eyes, it changed that little girl for the rest of her life, and the mother was just upset that she was going to have to explain to some people why her daughter's dress was dirty at lunch later that day and she actually told the little girl that you're going to have to sit in the car by yourself because you're so filthy while we go inside and eat and so see when a child experiences a rejection at that level from the parent more than likely that girl is going to grow up and deal with rejection throughout her whole life and the parent won't more than likely ever remember that event so this is why forgiveness is so important, to realize that these traits that we've taken on and fear of rejection is because we had an experience at some point of our life that we didn't understand, and normally it did come from a parent. And that when we 
stop holding maybe those people um, to blame or we stop maybe resenting. Resentment is something very tough to get rid of. But to accept that normally all parents are doing the best that they know how, believe it or not. It doesn't mean that they can't do better. But almost all the time, most parents are doing the best that they know how in the situation. And that's helped me in a lot of my forgiveness work. Uh, once again, it does not condone any actions. But the variables that's involved when... Um, the way that someone handles a kid is very extensive. And unfortunately, we're just now starting to see in our day and age the effects that this is truly having uh, on kids. And so the, the way that I suggest people to work on that is recognize this about yourself and then realize that if you get rejected a hundred times, the 101 will hurt less. The 102 will hurt even less. And it's just like anything else. So I like to tell people to practice getting rejected on small things. Like, uh, in a joking way, be able to offer somebody something and then them say, no, I don't want that. And see, be able to be playful. Be able to bring comedy and playfulness into rejection. And make that, like, okay. And make it part of a game that, hey, I'm going to come in and I want you to play a role for me that I want you to playfully reject me at some point this evening. And, uh, and you, can, you can even create scenarios to do that. And I don't want this to sound too, too flighty because it's very important from a vibrational standpoint. You're changing the vibration of an experience. That's why you want to practice it in another way, another environment. And so you can possibly even get a group of people together, like two or three people, and say, hey, let's just practice rejecting each other so that we can see that rejection doesn't have to be something negative. And I think that's a great place to start. I was just laughing at you saying, uh, like, let's all have a rejection party. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't like what would that look like? Because in my head, I'm thinking it's just a, it's people like going around a circle insulting each other. But it might. Well, well okay. So, so for example, um, I don't particularly like cauliflower. I don't dislike it, but I don't like it. I would never request it or fix it like for myself. So. Someone could playfully say to me, hey, Alexander, do you want a big cauliflower salad? And I could say, no, I really don't. And see, that could be a practice for them to experience rejection. So I could say something like, no, I really don't want any cauliflower salad, but I would probably love most anything else that you would provide for me. See, that brings in that 360-degree uh, view that we that. Uh, we just released a couple of episodes back to that you can you can still reject but then compliment as well like um, somebody could happen to and this is sharing things that you know we don't particularly like like certain art or certain music like somebody could say hey Alexander do you want to listen to this Britney Spears song and I could say no I don't but I'd love if you had a Bob Dylan song that you wanted to play for me 
And then I could find out something that, like, I know that you don't like, Aaron, and same thing. I could ask you if you wanted that, and you could say no, but you would enjoy, you know, some of this. Um, so, so that's a way to be able to be playful. That's just an example of how to be able to be playful, to be able to experience hearing no, hearing rejection, and it not have to always be associated with something negative or something heavy. And that's what helps to balance the vibrations of that experience. And, and many people's heard me tell the story about a couple of billionaires, brothers and sisters, that they asked what the key to their success was. And they said that every evening we ate dinner at 6 p.m. And our father asked us at what we failed at. That's the way we began our conversations. And th both of these people were multi-billionaires. They owned like five businesses apiece. But they said they never were afraid of failing, and failing is rejection because their father made it such a part of life that you can't learn unless you fail. So make sure that you go out every day and you try something that you fail at, and I want you to come and I want not to discuss that. And see, when you discuss what you failed at, you also can begin to discuss what you've learned. And once you discuss what you've learned and you're aware of how you failed, guess what? You're going to be better at whatever you go and do. So this is a great example of the 360-degree view, is there's nothing wrong with failing. There's nothing wrong with being rejected. Just change that vibration as soon as possible. That's a big key. And so kind of piggybacking on this conversation about fears, and actually I had a question relating to my recent list um, is there a way we can use our fears, making a list and identifying them to grow, heal, or live more free? And I guess we kind of answered some of that, but I don't know if you have anything further. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like to suggest for people to consider uh, what was useful for me in my life, especially over about a 12-year period, was lean into the friction and whatever you fear to experience it. And the more you experience it, the less you're going to fear it. And, the, and you know, I like to suggest to just stick your toe in, you know, in the beginning. Uh, make it as controlled an environment as you can. And be able to not push yourself but, but beyond a little past your comfort zone. And just enter that discomfort and be in it just a little while and then back out of it. That's what teaches our subconscious that no change is okay gradual changes over long periods of time equals lasting results and that's what i'm talking about is that you 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 engage in that so for example you know at one point in time performing in front of people was terrifying to me and i still carry some of that to a certain degree whether people can see that or not but the way that i push through that was by joining a band before I was ready. It was by being on stage before I was ready and doing everything before I felt like I was ready, but then immersing myself in it to where I got comfortable with it. And so there's a realistic um, parameters to all of this, but, but leaning into that friction and leaning into what you fear is what truly feeds that when we were talking earlier that Sam asked about the ego, it feeds that
part of the ego that makes us feel good about ourselves. That short-term accomplishment is overcoming any little fear that we have. That is so feeding to the soul. And no matter how little it is, it's worth practicing. So I think it's a great suggestion for everyone to approach something that they're fearful of uh, every day and to just train, almost train your body that, hey, this is just part of life, uh, leaning into what we fear and experiencing that vibration and feeling what that accomplishment feels like. Okay, this is a, a good one that I think a lot of people are experiencing nowadays. With so much information supporting all different perspectives, making choices nowadays can be paralyzing. <clears throat> What can you suggest for helping uh, those who experience this to get a more clearer mind when be, and be more decisive? Mm, okay, so here we're going to bring in the tools. When you do understand your human design and your destiny card system, that helps you to understand your personality, your proposed life purpose, and your energetic makeup. And the reason that all these are important is that Many people, d depending on your design, you can have uh, what's called open centers. So for myself, I have the crown, the mind center, and the throat all open. That means that I'm influenceable in those areas. But I have my heart and my emotions filled in and my root. So I'm rooted. I'm not uh, swayable in my emotions, and I'm centered in my willpower. So see, in... In the past, in my youth, I was vulnerable to people's thoughts. And that's why understanding specifically where you are vulnerable is very, very important. So I learned early on to, to give myself like little things like certain amounts of distance when I'm speaking to people about important subjects. I don't, if I don't want to be influenced by them, then I'm going to look to be six or eight feet apart. I'm going to look to talk to them on the phone, on the speaker, rather than being plugged in. There's little things that you can do to help not be influenced by the energies. But for somebody that I work with, a lot of people that have the emotions, the heart, their GPS system, their voice, their mind, and their crown all open. That means that they're influenceable in almost every area of their lives. So if somebody just gives them a certain type of emotion, they can sway their opinion. If somebody talks to them in a certain way mentally, it can sway their opinion. So so in general, that's a very tough question to answer in general, but this is why I do provide uh, this in my private sessions and why this is the very first session that normally, no matter what somebody wants to work with me with, it's an introduction to themselves to start understanding where you are most susceptible or empathic or vulnerable to other people's intentions. So see, somebody with the mind center, they can sit there and be in conversations or scrolling through Facebook, and all the information that's coming in, they're almost taking it in like it's their own. And so it's very hard to discern what's so-called right and so-called wrong for them. It can be very, very confusing, but knowing yourself and understanding where you're influenced is, is a very big key to that. And please reach out to me, anyone that wants to get uh, one of those consultations, 
and we can help clear that up right away. In in general speaking, it is that make sure that you separate yourself. If you ha- are having trouble discerning and making decisions, then monitor the input. And if you're doing it in person, try to be six to eight feet away. If you're doing it on some kind of screen, if you're listening to it, try to make sure you're not wearing headphones or earbuds to where you're just putting it directly in. Have some space in between you. So, so those are just a few, um, few suggestions. But to to get to know thyself is is extremely useful and and a big part of this whole philosophy. I do have somebody who's trying to get on to ask an audio or video question. I know we're getting close to wrapping up. They're having some issues getting on. It's probably related okay. to old software. Um, we'll give them a few more minutes, but um, I do have a question in relation to what you were just talking about with the activated centers. Um, if two activated center people came together and we can use, you know, let's just say the throat chakra since we, we talk about that a lot. So if you have two throat chakra people coming together, um, how would that be different with way, the way the energy uh, moves in between them to one with the, the activated center and one that had um, a center that's open or non-activated? Well, yes, when two people come together, like with the throat chakra activated simultaneously, there's nowhere for the energy to go. So, so anytime one person has the energy center activated and the other person doesn't, there's a reciprocation that happens there, but there, and it's beautiful, but there's also a, um, a manipulation that can happen. So that's why the, the importance of the relationship between the two people is very important. Um, but it can be, you know, anytime both parties have the centers activated, uh, it can create a struggle. Um, so that's why some type of uh, boundaries or system of communication can really help to where, like, maybe both parties get to speak for one or two minutes, and then they give the other person opportunity to speak. So for two throat chakra people in a relationship, I like to say, hey, just keep an hourglass around. And every time a subject comes up to just set that hourglass and every time it runs out, the other person, you know, it's their turn to speak. Because many people with the throat chakra, once they start, they they don't necessarily know when to stop. Okay, so we have him on the call. Let me just, uh, he wants to just do audio, so I'm going to stop his video. So, so, um, we have Matthew on the line. Matthew is a friend of mine. We go way back. Um, I think he wants to talk about some recent struggles that he's had around depression and, you know, I guess uh, semi-serious. Um, okay. He, I, I believe he is a nurse. And so he's been through a lot of oh, working hard hours and stuff like that. So uh, let's see. Well, welcome, Matthew. Um I'm looking very forward to, to supporting you any way that I can, brother. Okay, go ahead, Matthew. You are on mute. Hey, Aaron, do you hear me? Yes, I do. Go yes, ahead. You're Aaron, so, so what I got going on is a lot of it is uh, what I transfer to is more like uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Okay, I worked at a COVID facility for about three months, and uh, uh, I've had a lot of uh, changes, I guess you would say, in personality and characteristics of – 
what is important to me and what is not important to me. And now that I've gone back to my other hospital, I've been at a, a very loss of sense of purpose because of the high stress situation that I've been at. So I'm trying to find guidance of the way of uh, the last couple months, because uh, Aaron's a very good friend of mine I've known for, I don't know, 15 years now, 16 years, it seems, probably a little longer since I've been, you know, a young adolescent. Uh, I've had a lot of changes in my life for career, life, purposes, that I get to save lives for a living, which is great. But my empathy has been running low. I have not been able to help others. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm in a position now to focus strictly on myself, which is not characteristic to my, my character traits. Mm -hmm. So I've been on, a, I had suicide watch twice within the last three months. I have been having very uh, opposite characteristics to uh, conflict with my own uh, well-being so more uh more negative more sad and more just not myself to who i am as a character or as a human being that to try to find guidance to my purpose in my life right now and that's when i'm really trying to help uh maybe easy either alleviate or to try to repair or fix because I feel very damaged and very lost from the inside of the soul to the purpose to what I have on the outside as a human being. Okay. Well, th well thank you, Matthew, and welcome. I appreciate you uh, coming on and being so open, and let's see what we can get into here. So I want to make sure that I understand that you came from a very stressful hospital situation to now the your work that you're doing is not as intense, and so you're you're not feeling as much of a feed from it. Is that correct? That would be 100% correct, yes. Okay, Okay. so with that, how long did you, you said you worked at the the other hospital for about six months? Uh, uh, three months. I was uh, three months, about 90 hours a week there. Okay, so this is uh, what I like to suggest to people in these situations is that we need to do things in cycles. And those that are able to do things for long periods of time, especially people that feel like they are truly here for a special calling, um, whatever that may be, there's a, there's a longevity issue that most people put so much into the intensity of it that they burn out too fast. And the, the, the masters or people that are able to pull it off are the ones that see that there are going to come times and periods in life where I'm thrown in and I have to do whatever it takes to make sure that this happens and that I do my best to, uh, to help, to save as many as I can. But then the times when things are calm, I have to see that this is my time to regroup and to understand that regrouping is just as much as just as important as going to war that if the soldier does not rest if the soldier does not put as much effort into resting and recalibrating themselves then they're not going to be ready when they go back to war the next day or the next month or the next war whenever that is they're not going to be prepared and many times we can get stuck in this feed off of the adrenaline, and and that's very, very real. I've been through some PTSD stuff myself, and it takes 
a lot of time to rebalance those energies. That's why I was asking you how long you were. Um, normally, I suggest that however long you're in something, it can take about half as long to recalibrate it. So if you were in that situation for about three months, then it could take you, say, a month and a half to recalibrate it, like focusing on your rest and focusing on, like, um, uh, whatever brings you joy and relaxation. Uh, there's, of course, different meditation-type techniques, many different things, but whatever that is, it could be playing basketball or fishing or whatever it is. But to see that that, that is the warrior's duty is to learn to rest so that when the call comes again, I'm ready, and I would need to do your personal, um, you know, your the human design and the, the cards from your birth information. I could help you very, very specifically if that was the case, but just speaking in general, and first of all, I want to command you, commend you for what you, for what you do. I thank you so much for being in that line of fire, but to be able to do it long term and to feel that when you are taking care of yourself, that's just as much of a purpose because you are you're providing yourself with the tools needed to be that much more present when you're put into the line of fire again. Does that make sense at all to you? Uh, it, it does, but I'm kind of at a conflict too that uh, I just started. Uh, I've been off work for about three months. And I've been in therapy and obviously some medications to try to help combat with what I got going on. Uh, I started back work uh, Thursday, so not even a week. Okay. And uh, so the emotional and the adrenaline rush that you speak of is what I bet at for uh, the hospital I worked at with very, very sick patients was I got to work to it. I got so used to that adrenaline rush, I could say, but yes. it wasn't even like an adrenaline rush. It was just, being there for the right reasons that I had some very sick people that needed to be taken care of. And now I come back and my anxiety is coming from head to toe. Uh, these triggers such as from PTSD that seem so negligent to others because they weren't over there much like a war veteran in that way. Sure. That I have, I have such at a conflict in my own self that the happy-go-lucky guy that the empath that I normally am to save everybody, even though my ship is burning, I'd rather do good yes. to help others that I am so um, detached from reality, from myself, from people that certain uh, character traits are a conflict that I'm showing now, rage, frustration, anger, that I'm more upset because I am showing these traits that it's not to show weakness, but it's to show that that's not how I am, but it's because the way I feel. And for a person that has to emit such happiness and go luckiness and, and fruitfulness to help others and their journey to getting back to where they need to be, that I have such a loss. I wouldn't say like a soul, but I am so lost in the way that I don't know how I got into this dark journey that I've had such a conflict, you know, being at the psych ward because of these thoughts of negativity and how they just snowball that the, the power of negativity, what it has on our own mind and our own soul to think us as we're subhuman or that we're lesser than that we forget to realize the small battles, as you said earlier, to, to realize 
the positivity that we have and we have to re reinvent ourselves based on that. Yes. And, and depending on, you know, your level of being an empath, which uh, that information would help me to understand. But many times uh, people in your situation absorb a lot of energy and of course they don't process the emotions. And so uh, a lot of anxiety can be non-processed emotions. And of course here we're talking from an energetic and emotional standpoint and of course continue to, to seek out the medical advice that you are. But from a from an energetic and emotional standpoint, uh, there that balance has just gotten out of sorts. And uh, helping with anger, rage, and um, even some uh, fear, anxiety, physical exercise typically can be very helpful with that to help burn off some of that excess energy. Because, in my opinion, and something that you can do some more research with or see how you resonate with it is that when we are able in that anxiety and we can do some type of physical exercise and we can many times the emotion that we need to release will come up and we may need to cry and just allow that to happen and for many uh, caretakers they don't allow themselves to release emotions and I'm not sure where you're at with that, but that's a very big key in my experience, just speaking from my own experience, when I went through seven years of a PTSD situation, um, that it was through that the release of those uh, emotions and allowing it. And sometimes it was like walking or some type of physical exercise that helped me to get into releasing that. I carry so much compassion for everything that you're dealing with and of course we can't necessarily resolve everything on this call we have to begin to wrap this up but i would like to invite you to please reach out to me you know privately if you're led to uh to go deeper into this but i hope that we have shared a few things this evening that may be helpful to you uh, uh a little bit anyway but i do uh, commend you so much and appreciate you for being willing to call in Uh, I just appreciate your time. Thank you. And Aaron, uh, as a friend, since I've been 13 years old, I just thank you. I think uh, all our lives have taken a wild path in, uh, in this journey. So, you know, with, you know, uh, Aaron and I used to bowl together 20, 20 years ago now, which seems like a blink of an eye, how yes. fast time goes. But it, it's the fact that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we all find our path. And I would love to talk to you more in depth about this because I'm at a, uh, I've been in a serious conflict, not in probably positive, negative, but more just who I am, identity crisis in that way of things that I've been doing and things I'm trying to do on top of trying to heal in a way of being an empath of trying to give to everybody else, but trying to heal for my own self for the first time in my 31 years of being alive that it's a very different uh, path for me to try to save everyone else burning ships, so to speak. But meanwhile, mine is burning like everybody else's, but I spend more time trying to help everybody else. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I, and I, it's common. It's, a, it's common, especially now in the health industry, there's so much being asked of, of the health industry is, is uh, pretty unfair, but but, uh, but yes, please reach out privately, and uh, I would love to 
see if we can't shed some more light on this on your situation and give you a breath of fresh air brother but thank you so much I, I greatly appreciate both you guys, Aaron. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you just for some words of wisdom and encouragement. Uh, definitely looking for some uh, words of enlightenment. Uh, you know, happy belated. I, I saw your birthday a couple of weeks ago. It was awesome. I just love to see your facial reaction. So, I mean, every, every year is another year of wisdom, another year of enlightenment, and another year of appreciation of what we have around us. And as I get older, some things are more important to me than what others used to be. You know, the, it, it really is amazing how we grow up as an adult or just how we change every year uh, to what's important to us. So I just want to say thank you uh, guys very much for taking the time just to hear me out, to talk to me, to reach out to me. And I, I'm just very thankful for you guys for your time and to keep pushing content out to help enlighten others in times of need. Oh, blessings, brother. And Matt, I want to I thank you for coming on, and I send you so much compassion. Um, it, was, it was kind of hard to hear, <laughs> to be honest. And I did want to add, I know it's so insignificant to what you're going through, but I know some things that have helped me in the past have been um, going out in nature and grounding, just walking on the grass barefoot. I know it seems so small, you know, with how big of what the challenge that you're, that you're having, but, um, that I, I just know that that helps me when I feel a state of anxiety. Yeah. That grounding and centering. So, um, so yeah, so blessings to you and I hope to talk to you uh, soon, Matt. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I'll, I'll talk to Aaron, see if I can get some, uh, some email or phone number, to reach you out so we can talk. I, sure. I greatly appreciated that. Right, Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Matt. Okay. Well, that was an intense uh, ending to this. Um, you're still with me, Alexander, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Sam did uh, have a comment towards the end. Uh, what has helped me with that snowball effect of bad thoughts is coming into full acceptance of good and bad feelings and thoughts. If we are not working to accept we are fighting, which is making those negative energies snowball and get out of control. And, and I guess uh, I also feel the same way, especially when I'm, when I'm about to have an anxiety attack. It's just the accepting and allowing that anxiety to come in is what causes it to, yeah, I mean, you know, dissipate. It, it comes back to those three R's. You know, you recognize it, you show it respect, and then you redirect it to whatever the opposite is that you're experiencing. That's the vibration that you want to bring in. And it can be so challenging that's why it does take discipline to do the opposite you know uh to to be down but be willing to go express gratitude you know to be scared but be willing to go uh do something that you feel a sense of accomplishment from see it doesn't have to be uh the exact thing that you're scared of just something that you go feel accomplishment from um, so, so hopefully, uh, this has been a great session and I want to thank everybody for tuning in and please share all of our platforms with, uh, your friends and family and, uh, reach out and let us know if you're interested in on getting in on one of the discussions to share how the just philosophy is assisted you in your life. And what do you think, Aaron? And, uh, yeah, thank you everybody. We'll be posting, 
uh, our next live Q&A event, hopefully in a week or two on the next date. It will be a month out. That's what we're working with right now and until we can get uh, a good sense of where we are as far as uh, what we can handle uh, energetically with all the new growth and changes that we're having um, with, the, with the podcast. Um, we are working on an additional podcast uh, which, you know, will probably be out in maybe a month or two. We have a lot of planning going on. And so, you know, we'll just, just stay tuned and we'll be updating you guys as we go along, but just thank you all. Appreciate you so much. Um, and like Alexander said, just, just keep sharing it and we keep growing as a group. Much love. <laughs>